0: Welcome back to part two of our language comprehension series with Sarah Mari from the Stellar Teacher Company. If you didn't catch last week's episode, which is part one of this, go back and listen to that first because it's going to help give you a lot of context and background into the conversation that we're continuing today. I hope you Enjoy.
1: Okay, so the next element of language comprehension, and this one might be my favorite, and I kind of have geeked out over this one (laughs) this last year just learning about it. And that is language structures. And this really looks at syntax, which is sentence structure, and semantics, which is word meaning. And I know that this is probably a huge, huge, huge part for ELL students. And I love that this is brought into the reading conversation because I feel like so often sentence structure is left to grammar and writing and we oftentimes don't really think about how does this fit into reading and specifically reading comprehension but you know like i mentioned the older students get the more complex the texts become and this is you know true for ell students in fact maybe even more true because they're still trying to figure out some of the basic words and basic sentence structures and we're like great now you're in fourth grade and you've got to read a text where there's compound sentences and complex sentences and independent clauses and dependent clauses and you know all of these sort of different sentence structures And if a student does not understand at the very basic foundational level how a complex sentence is formed, they're going to have a really hard time extracting the meaning of it. And so ultimately, students need to be able to look at a sentence, a complex sentence, and be able to really break it apart and understand who or what is the sentence about and what is the action that is happening. And sometimes when there's all these commas and extra words and extra information, it is hard for students to distill a sentence down to its basic level, but it is important for us to incorporate during reading. So there's a couple of really basic things to do. And I think like being intentional about doing this during like your reading instruction helps students see that, yeah, we want to learn how to write sentences too, but we need this from the comprehension side of things. And that is to do sentence- really deconstruction or sentence construction, so basically breaking apart sentences down to the very basic level. And this is something that you could do during like a read aloud or a small group lesson anytime there's a text. And what you want to do is you want to identify a complex text from your read aloud or your shared text. And you want to ask students to be able to break it down into the smallest sentence that still maintains its meaning. So what words or phrases can we eliminate but still hold the meaning true? And so, for example, one of my favorite read alouds and stories is Each Kindness by Jacqueline Woodson. And I don't know if you're familiar with that story. If not, it's, it's, oh my gosh, it's such a wonderful story about kindness and it's go read it. If your audience hasn't read it, go read it. We'll post a link to that. I was going to say it's great (laughs) for back to school, just like classroom, culture, community, kindness, inclusion, all of that thing. But a sentence in the story says each morning I walked to school slowly hoping this would be the day Maya returned and she'd look at me and smile. That is a very complex sentence. There's, you know, there's a lot of phrases going on in there and, you know, there's multiple characters, there's multiple actions happening. And so, you know, so often we're like, identify the noun, identify the verb. It's like, okay, well, in that sentence, we have the verbs walked, hoping, smile, like what is actually happening in this sentence? And so ultimately, we want students to be able to read that sentence and understand that Chloe, that's the main character saying I, she's hoping Maya would return to school. So if you know the sentence starts with each morning, I walked to school slowly, hoping this would be the day Maya returned and she'd looked at me at smile. Well, if we eliminate that first phrase each morning we still have the core of the sentence. So now we have, I walked to school slowly, hoping this would be the day Maya returned and she'd looked at me and smile. Okay, well what if we eliminated that phrase? She looked at me and smiled. Do we still have the core meaning of the sentence? I walked to school slowly, hoping this would be the day Maya returned. So you just go through and bit by bit what words can we eliminate? What phrases can we eliminate and still maintain the core meaning of the sentence until we get down to the smallest sort of elements of a basic sentence. So you can do this anytime you're doing a read aloud, small group, find a sentence in the text and break it apart. And then the sort of opposite is you can build a sentence and you can expand it. So having students start with the very basic you know a you know like the dog ran Okay. So that's our very basic sentence. Can we add to it? Can we add an adjective? The brown dog ran. Okay. Where did the brown dog run to? The brown dog ran down the street. Okay. What time of day is this happening? The brown dog ran down the street Monday morning. You know, so we're, we're adding in different words and phrases, but students understand that at the core of the sentence, we're talking about a dog that ran. So both of those activities I think are so great to do and they're, they're short, they're quick, but they really help students understand, you know, language, composition at the very basic level. And focusing on these types of activities has an impact both on reading comprehension, but also like our reading expression and how students write and communicate their ideas because they have a much better understanding of how sentences are put together.
0: Absolutely. We've
1: done a lot of
0: the building of a sentence starting symbol, but I love that idea. Finding a mentor sentence, finding something in a read aloud And then modeling that and working on it together and playing a game with it. You know, can we, how small can we make this sentence? Because I think for some kids that might be easier to kind of deconstruct or feel like it's easier than just seeing a short sentence and adding on words. So what a powerful way to do both. And it really helped their brains go back and forth of deconstructing and constructing
1: Well, I think even like having the sentence written on the board and, you know, either circling the words you're eliminating or putting an X for them so students can still see where they're located, you know, or even asking students like, okay, if I eliminate this phrase, like, do you, again agree or disagree. Like if I eliminate this phrase, do we still maintain the core of the meaning, you know, and having a debate about it. And I think, you know, just really helping kind of, like you said, like really analyzing sentences and helping students like really understand. And I, and I think a lot of times this is like from all of the reading I've done on the science of reading, I feel like this is such an opportunity for teachers to like, Be way more intentional about how we're teaching grammar, specifically sentence structures, both in reading and writing, that could have a huge, huge, huge impact. Yeah. I just think that this is like an area that we are like, okay, we can give way more intentional focus to sentence instruction.
0: No, I love it. And it's so intentional of just then lending into that writing piece that I know many of our students really struggle with. You know, If they're seeing this model, then when they're reading, they're really beginning to see sentences come to life that's going to directly correlate with how well they're going to be able to write sentences independently. So,
1: well, and then also kind of going back to like the very beginning, how we talked about how it's like, we constantly want to be spiraling, like what we're doing, like the weaving of the rope, you know, we're not teaching a block and then adding to it, you know, it's like one of those things. So often we teach our unit on sentence, sentence structures, right? We teach different types of sentences, we teach compound sentences, we teach complex sentences, and then we move on and we teach something else. But this is one of those things that it's like, if we're constantly coming back to sentence structure and, you know, looking at simple sentences and, you know, compound more complex, but we're constantly just like paying attention to and reviewing them all throughout the year. Our students are going to have a much stronger understanding than if we just did a four week unit on sentences in October. So this is definitely one of those that all year long we want to be talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. It will be, it will pay off in the end for sure. <laughs>
0: Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your ELL students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators join us today at www.equippingell.com now back to the episode
1: Okay, so the next element of language comprehension is verbal reasoning. And a lot of times if you look, you know, if you go and you look at the descriptors under Scarborough's reading rope, you're going to see the terms inference and metaphor for verbal, verbal reasoning. And I've seen a lot of teachers sort of identify this element with like figurative language. And that's definitely part of it. But the inferencing side of it, I think is really important for us to pay attention to. So if we think about verbal reasoning, you know, simply put, what Verbal reasoning is it is the ability for us to understand what we read or what we hear and making inferences is a huge part of us being able to have strong verbal reasoning skills because, you know, especially in texts, they're limited, you know, teachers are, or authors are limited with the words that they can use and a reader is going to have to bring in their own Prior knowledge and, you know, infer to have complete understanding. And so verbal reasoning is, you know, being able to understand things like figurative language, but really it's understanding when and how to make inferences. And a lot of teachers ask me, you know, do you have lessons on how to make inferences? Do you have a unit on how to make inferences? And, you know, making inferences is one of those things where it's like we might need to introduce the idea or the concept of what an inference is. But it really isn't something that we want to teach in isolation. You know, we make inferences all of the time. And so whatever whatever you're teaching, you know whether it is fiction, nonfiction, if you're teaching about like plot structure or characters or you know text features or text structure, main idea, whatever it is, inferencing should be a part of that conversation because as readers, we are really making inferences all of the time. And it's not just, okay, I've learned how to make an inference and I'm gonna move on and do something else. We are constantly making inferences, but it is kind of like a harder thing to teach because it's a little bit abstract, right? Like... (laughs) okay, like I know I need to do this all the time and I know what I'm doing to make an inference, but like, how do I actually teach it? So really there's kind of two reflection questions that you can ask yourself to support students with verbal reasoning. And again, this whole like idea of like constantly making connections or making inferences. And one, making connections is a huge part of being able to make inferences because if you're, you know, we always talk about like making inferences is figuring out what the author wants you to understand without directly stating it or kind of like reading between the lines. So in order to do that, you have to be able to make a connection to something that you've experienced in real life. So again, having like that background knowledge. So you want to think kind of about how are you helping students make connections at the text level. So, you know, can students understand the very basic things like characters? Are they following the sequence of events that they're doing? And can they identify some of just like the basic things that are happening so they can make a connection, right? If the character's experiencing a problem, can they connect that to a problem that they've experienced? So helping students make connections at the text level, which I feel like we do oftentimes, but then we want to go back to the sentence level and making sure students can, you know, really make these connections within in the text. So looking at, for example, if students are reading a sentence, can they fully identify who or what is being referred to by the pronouns within the text? And this is probably like an important for ELL students. So like if a student said, or if a text says they traveled to a new country, can students say, okay, the they is referring to You know, these three characters that were mentioned earlier in the paragraph, but not right there. And so, again, I feel like so often when we're talking about comprehension, you know, and like thinking about understanding of the text, we kind of miss that. Okay, we teach pronouns and we teach that in grammar and we teach that it replaces the noun. But how often do we pause during our reading and say, hey, this sentence did not tell me who it's about how do we figure this out? Okay, it says they, how do we know who that they is, and making sure that students can really make the connections that are happening within the text. So that is like one thing that we need to consider. But then also thinking about, you know, what support do students need in order to connect their prior knowledge or their background knowledge to what is happening in the text. And again, this is kind of where like the figurative language comes in, which I know is like a, th- a thing for our ELL students, because a lot of like our idioms don't exist in <laughs> other languages. So Like, for example, if they're reading a text and, you know, the text says my classroom was a zoo, can students understand that they are not actually in a classroom that is at a zoo? But, you know, that expression is helping students understand that maybe their classroom is a bit crazy. It's a bit chaotic. They can identify that as a metaphor. So making sure that they have enough background knowledge to understand figurative language, metaphors, but not even just like specific, you know, metaphors, I think just any example that can be included, like, what is the author trying to communicate through this example? You know, I think those are examples of like making inferences that we don't always like think about, you know, so some things that you can do to prompt students to make inferences. And I think sometimes we don't realize that like these types of questions are actually demanding students to use inferential thinking, but like the how and the why questions. So like why would small acts of kindness be a good theme for this book? So a question like that, you know, students have to evaluate like, okay, first of all, does this theme connect to what is happening? Can I extract evidence from the text that would support this, you know, so they're having to use their own inferential thinking to answer that question. Or, you know, would you describe Camilla as being brave? Why or why not? So they're having to then go back to the text. And, you know, these are, you're sort of giving them the answers, right? But they're having to find the evidence in the text that answers that. And all of these, you know, require students to use inferential thinking, but it's helping them with that like verbal reasoning. Like we're really getting down to sort of some specific things like do students understand what they read or what they... Here and sometimes we don't get that specific. You know, looking at the pronouns in the sentences or having students find evidence. We ask them questions like, "What is the theme?" But we don't say, "What's the evidence that supports this as the theme?" And it's just almost like a little, a slight little shift with how we think about yeah, the verbal reasoning side of reasoning or of reading, which is
0: huge because I think this is a big struggle for many, many teachers in general, but even those with ELLS because of you know different gaps that there are in their language journey. How do we know if they know this? How do we know, you know, if they remember the pronouns that we taught? So I think those are really crucial ways that you're highlighting. And it sounds like a lot is really kind of exposed through modeling and think alouds, read alouds, you know, small group reading times, things like that, that is really where the power is. So it's kind of shifting our focus as the teacher. If we have some of these prompts ready, it's going to help us to unlock and see where our students are at and where they're responding, so that we don't have to have this feeling like we have to pinpoint every little thing, and we have to make sure. Oh, they don't understand pronouns yet. You know, will that will become exposed if we're really aware of the books we're using, the read alouds we're doing, modeling those things, and then giving them those open ended, you know, questions, those inferential questions that help us to see where they're at in their verbal reasoning processes.
1: Yeah, and I think so much of it is is like you know, I think as teachers we want to like have a lesson plan and like know specifically, it's like, okay, this resource is going to help with this. And this lesson is going to teach this. And then I can cross the standard off the list. But I think so much of this is just one, having like the knowledge and the understanding as a teacher, like these are things that are going to help my students become more skilled readers. And then just being aware of when we can have opportunities to highlight them throughout our instructional day. It's like, anytime we're reading, it's like, how can I bring in more vocabulary? How can I help my students like understand sentence structure? It's like, okay, where can I maybe ask a specific question that's going to help them, you know, like with their verbal reasoning, you know, and it's not like every single question or every time we read aloud, we should be like, let's talk about the pronouns and making sure students understand it. But if there's an opportunity, like bring a question in like that, you know, or it's like if there's a really good, rich, complex sentence, like let's break that apart. We don't need to do it, you know, for every sentence we're reading, But just being aware of when are good opportunities to highlight these aspects of language comprehension, like you mentioned, whether it's full group, small group, independent practice centers, workstations, morning meeting, you know, all throughout the day. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) You make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what you're saying is as you begin to, to shift how you see the power of those lessons and those questioning techniques and all that, you really start to see that you can incorporate it throughout the day. And those little, th- those little changes really do make a big impact.
1: I think it's a lot more about like the consistency and less about like, okay, I need to, you know, like if you, and I, I mentioned this to the teachers in our reading membership at one of our last professional developments when we were talking about word study, but you know, it's like if you're, whether it's like roots or affixes, or even like learning the syllable types, if you found one opportunity during the day to highlight a word that had a root. And you did that every single day for the entire school year. That's 180 times that you're reminding your students about roots. And how hard is it to take one word out of your entire day? You know, so if you just think about like small things done consistently over time, can have a huge impact. So all of these things can be done in small little bite-sized chunks. But if you did them every single day, your students would be rocking with the language comprehension side Absolutely. of things. Absolutely, <laughs> I love that.
0: Don't <laughs> underestimate those small things.
1: Absolutely. Okay. There's one more aspect of language comprehension that I did want to mention, and that is literacy knowledge. And this is another one of my favorites because it Mm -hmm. encompasses two reading concepts that I love, and that is genre and text structure. And this is also probably one of the aspects of language comprehension that teachers already have quite a bit of background knowledge on. They probably know a lot about, and they probably are already teaching these things to their students. I mean, I know in upper elementary text structure is such a huge part of understanding, you know, nonfiction text and even like genre. But ultimately is we, you know, what this is, is we want students to be able to have knowledge and information about how the texts they are written are constructed and how different genres have different attributes. So if a student opens up a fairy tale, they understand that it's probably going going to start with once upon a time, it's probably going to take place in a faraway magic land, it's probably going to have, you know, a good guy and a villain, it's probably going to end with, you know, happily ever after, and they have that knowledge, because they understand the attributes of a genre. And that's going to look very different if they open up an informational text, which is probably going to have a table of context or contents, it's going to have chapters, it's going to have text features like maps and headings, it's going to provide information, it's not going to have characters, it's not going to have a problem and solution, you know, they're going to learn something new. And so that type of text is written very differently. So that way students can kind of anticipate the organization and the structure. But then they also understand, you know, if they're looking for a certain type of reading experience or an assignment, they know sort of where to navigate and find what type of text is going to help fulfill this requirement assignment experience that I'm looking for. So making sure that you are explicitly teaching the attributes of genre so that way students can under identify them when they're reading, you know, but also make, make sure that students understand text structure. And oftentimes I feel like when we teach text structure, we do a really good job of teaching that in nonfiction. And we teach it in fiction, but we usually don't identify it as text structure. We talk about like story elements and we talk about plot structure, but really that is text structure. Like that is how fictional texts are structured. And so helping students understand that really all texts have a structure, that's an organizational way that authors organize it. And that can serve as like the individual roadmap for students to help them understand and anticipate what they're going to be reading. Um, So making sure students have an understanding of this. And I think a couple ways that teachers can do this. One, I love making sure that students know how to create their own graphic organizer for the type of text that they are reading. So showing students, one, how to create a visual that can help them process and understand you know, the types of text. So if it's like a nonfiction text that's compare and contrast, they could draw a Venn diagram or a T-chart. And then that They that helps them as they're reading. They can take notes on, you know, the similarities and differences. They can, the you know, the specifics of topic one versus the specifics of topic two. If they are reading a text that is, you know, nonfiction and it's in sequential order, they can draw a timeline and they can keep track of the events. You know, drawing graphic organizers is a great way just for students to identify the key points, the main idea, you know, it helps them synthesize at the end. And if they can draw it themselves, then they have a tool that is applicable for every everything you know and if they're reading a fictional story you know using the story mountain so students know that in the beginning i'm identifying you know who or what is you know who are the characters where's the story taking place like what is the problem and then knowing that like with rising action there's probably going to be two or three events that lead up to the climax and i got to pay attention to you know what are the challenges they're experiencing are they trying to solve the problem and it's you know failed attempts and then you know the climax is like the most exciting part the turning point you know the falling action and then it's like the theme so if students can have this like visual you know in mind that helps them organize the events that happen in the story they're going to be able to keep track of what is happening so much easier because they're able to you know view it in terms of like a visual and this can be really helpful especially as we think about like you mentioned it's like there's usually picture cues to support comprehension at the very basic level when we're reading picture books and things like that. But when we get up into upper elementary, a lot of times like the chapter books don't have that. But if students can provide some visual sort of cue for themselves, that's just going to help them, you know, they don't have the pictures, but this visual graphic organizer can help them process events. So teaching students how to draw graphic organizers for the specific organizational structures of the text. But then I think helping students understand that there are different question stems that we can ask and answer based off of the genre. So I know so often it's like we give students like response stems or whatever, but you want to make sure that it's like, if I'm giving students, whether it's like, here's a list of questions or here's a choice board or here's different activities, do those questions that we're giving our students, are they... You know, answerable based off of the genre of the text. You know, it's like if you've got a set of generic questions where you're asking students, like, who is the story about? Like, what's the problem? Well, if they're reading an informational text, there isn't going to be a who. And I think, especially with students who are, unless it's like a biography or something, but like, especially if students are like ELL students, or I think about like, I had students, it's just like, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, they take everything I say so literally, or they so desperately want to please, you know, and I remember I used to have kind of like a, like a response, a, a generic response to them almost where it's like if you're independent reading here's the questions you need to ask and they were all based off of fiction and a student was reading an informational text and he's like i don't know what the setting is like there is no setting and i'm like oh I poor you. guy kind of but i'm like i am sorry because i gave you a question that could not be answered based off of that text yeah so we need to make sure that students understand that certain questions can be answered by certain like genres and texts and helping students understand you know if I'm reading a fictional text, what type of questions as a reader should I be asking to help my understanding? If I'm reading a nonfiction text, what type of questions should I be asking to help, you know, under- with my understanding? So helping students be able to understand specific question stems and graphic organizers that are unique to each genre can really help with literacy knowledge. Yes. So that's that's what? it. That's language comprehension <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> right there. <laughs> Background knowledge, vocabulary, sentence structures, verbal reasoning, and literacy knowledge. <laughs> you know,
0: just in a a condensed way. No, that was great. So helpful to really break down each of those. And I love what you said about having, giving them the power to draw their own graphic organizer, because, you know, graphic organizers are a great scaffold for ELLs. And I think many of us use those kind of too much. And so taking that away at some point where we don't over scaffold and really once our students have seen that visual, they have that framework Giving them that power to draw it on their own. Again, I love everything you're saying, is really pushing our students to be more independent and, and responsible for their learning. And that's what we want them to do. That's how they become a skilled reader, right? When they can apply those skills. So excellent. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was incredible. Now let's finish up here. Sorry. All right. So you just shared a lot, a lot with us. And, you know, going back, you talked about how it's really a weaving this rope, but how do teachers know what to focus on first? Because I think that's where part of the overwhelm comes in is either we try to do it all at once and then it fails and we give up and we go back to our normal ways or we, yeah, we just don't even start because we're too overwhelmed. So what element of language comprehension do you think they should give that priority to?
1: And I, I love questions like this. And I feel like whenever I answer them, teachers are like, that's not the answer that I wanted because I could say, start with background knowledge. Cause that's what you need to have. Right. But like, if you have students that already have like background knowledge, like that's, you don't need to spend then as much time, like, you know, specifically teaching that. So, so much of it is, it's like, where do we start? That is going to be dependent upon what your students need. So a lot of that comes from, and especially, you know, with like the start of the year, like getting to know your students and, you know, giving them opportunities to talk about what they're reading, to write about what they're reading, giving them opportunities to explain their thinking that is really going to help you figure out where do I start? And, you know, I don't know if there's like a right or wrong place to start. I think it's a matter of starting. And then like you said, weaving weaving into it. And so it's like, we can teach these things in isolation, obviously, if we're thinking about like vocabulary, which is a great place to start, right? If you're, if you're thinking, especially as a teacher, like I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to start with. Vocabulary is a great place to start or start by saying every time I sit down to do a read aloud, I'm going to go through the ABCs of background knowledge and then just like go from there. But when we teach these things in isolation, right? Like ultimately, if we're introducing and explaining roots, I need to have an explicit lesson on roots. But once I introduce that concept to my students, I don't want to like teach it and then forget about it. I want to constantly spiral that in. So I don't know if it's so much about like, this is what you should start with again, going back to the whole, like starting and finishing or whatever, but sort of be aware of once I have taught something to my students, how can I be more intentional about bringing that into the other aspects of our literacy block? You know, so anytime you do a read aloud, you can bring in all of these elements you can bring in background knowledge, vocabulary, sentence structures, verbal reasoning, and, you know, literacy concepts. Anytime you're doing a small group lesson, anytime your students are doing independent reading, if you've got a book club, you could even do something like a word study club where students are focusing specifically on words. So really, it's anytime you are focusing on literacy, you want to think about like, how can I bring in these elements? And I think. You know, this is, I think, one of the things teachers ask this question. What should I start with first? Because they don't necessarily feel confident in their ability to identify it. So first and foremost, feel confident that you as a teacher, you know your students better than I do. You know your, you know, your students better than your principal, better than your district curriculum, better than any of your expectations. You know what your students need. And if you feel like your students are going to benefit from direct vocabulary instruction and focusing on vocabulary and then weaving that in start with that. If you feel like your students really need help with sentence structures and working on that, start with that. You know, if you feel like your students don't actually have a really strong understanding of literacy concepts and they're missing some of that, you know, foundational work on genre and text structure, start with that. But then slowly weave in the other elements and once you've taught it, bring it into everything else, but trust that you know your students and you can identify what they need.
0: Absolutely, yes. And I think, you know, going with if you're teaching intermediate ells if you are pushing in or pulling out whatever it is start with the content that really the home room teacher is working on so that you're supporting in that way you know sometimes just as esl teachers it's hard to know like what topic do i even start with or like sarah was mentioning you know the read aloud book for classroom development classroom community finding different topics that are appropriate for the season or for the time and starting there. So start simple, start with a simple read aloud. There's so much you can pull out of a read aloud. I have, I'll attach in the show notes, unlocking language through read alouds where we do just that. We keep pulling out that grammar piece, that vocabulary piece, those questions, everything, because in one quick read aloud, you can really go deep on that. So don't, don't get overwhelmed. Like Sarah (laughs) said, start with feeling confident that you know what your students need, and then you can continue to Weave things in, change things, how you do it, all of that. So Sarah, can you share with us any final tips or advice for teachers who want to focus more on the language comprehension this year?
1: Yeah. And it kind of ties back to what you just said. I think don't let the newness of something prevent you from exploring it with your students. So if you're like, ooh, the the I get it. The whole like language, you know, syntax, like exploring sentence structure, that makes sense to me, but I don't feel confident as a writer myself. Like, I don't feel like I can confidently explain this. That's okay. Just start exploring it with your students and you will. You know, it's like you're never going to become an expert in any one of these things unless you get started teaching. And I mentioned this in one of my other podcasts, but I think, you know, imperfect action on a teacher's part is going to be better than no action at all. So if you're thinking, I'm going to wait until I've done all the research myself, until I know all of these things and I've got the perfect plan before I start. Your students are going to benefit if you start now and even if you start with one small thing. So don't wait until you feel like you're an expert. Then you've waited too long. Get started. You know. So if it is new and maybe a little uncomfortable and you're like, I've never taught this way or I really don't know how to like incorporate these things into my read aloud, that's okay. You're going to get better the more you practice and the more you sort of just you know explore it. And, and like I said, just practice it. So yeah, don't let the newness or maybe unfamiliarity of some of these ideas prevent you from getting started with incorporating them in your classroom.
0: And don't believe the lie that, you know, everybody's an expert in science no, and nobody's, nobody's <laughs> an I don't want to do say I, that. I was gonna say, I don't want
1: to say nobody is an expert out there. Yeah. But you know, this is one it's of the very things very yeah. I was gonna say this is one of the things that I love about education is that there are always opportunities to learn. And, you know, even the people that are experts and have been doing this for a long time, they're continuing to learn as well. And so I think don't don't feel bad if some of these things are like new, you know, it's like no. Now I'm just I'm adding one more tool to my teacher toolbox. I'm learning one new strategy. I'm, you know, we're we're all on a teacher journey and we're at different points in the continuum. So yeah, everybody is working towards expert level, but nobody's there yet. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so don't let that stop you or make you make you feel like you don't, you're not ready for this yet. Absolutely. You're ready. Start dipping those toes in the water and there's a lot of support, thankfully, of of how to do this. So Sarah, thank you so much. This was so, so helpful. Can you
1: share with my listeners where they can find more about you? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. You can check out my website, stellarteacher.com. And on my website, you'll be able to find my podcast, which is the Stellar Teacher Podcast. I have new episodes that come out every Monday. You'll also be able to find a link to my reading membership site, which is for upper elementary reading teachers. So if you are if you or a reading teacher, you know, is looking for resources, support. It's really like a one-stop shop for upper elementary reading teachers. And then you can also follow me on Instagram and I am at the Stellar Teacher Company and I absolutely love connecting with teachers. So if you've got questions about anything I shared, feel free to send me a direct message and I would love to chat with you.
0: Yes. Please let her know if you have questions. She is Excited to help people. <laughs> <laughs> and she's also sharing an awesome freebie with us today, a word of the week freebie. So we will have that in the show notes. Make sure to grab that and get started on just, again, like Sarah was, has been saying, you know, just I think that will be, if you're feeling really overwhelmed, it's probably a great place to start to just see how simple ways and simple examples doing that a little bit every day can really help your students start to understand more of these new strategies we're incorporating. So, all right, Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me Beth. This was a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done for you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.